This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. Hi, everybody. Happy Mother's Day, if I haven't said it to you yet. All you awesome mamas. Oh, yes. <laughs> Dumb. Um, so they asked me to come up and kind of share my journey from uh, us trying to have a kid until actually having one. So it may be short, so I apologize. <laughs> uh, so Thomas and I have been married 10 years this month. Um, we uh, <laughs> Thanks. We tried having kids. It took us six years to get Liam. We had one loss, um, which was pretty hard, and, you know, got through it. And some of the verses, there's two verses that helped me get through that and through the process of it taking so long. And one of them is Psalms uh, 37.4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's one I meditated on a lot because I was like, I desire to be a mom at some point. I'll be a mom, maybe. (laughs) And then the other one was, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, and that's Jeremiah 29, 11. That one, when I would get really upset um, every month that I wasn't pregnant, I would get really angry, and I think that one kind of drew me back in and to calm down. And um, I had heard a speaker I don't remember who it was, but they said, you know, it's okay to yell when you're angry and God wants to know how you feel about things. And I, the further along that we got into this journey, the more angry I got. So I would kind of yell at, yell at him, but uh, (laughs) then apologize uh, (laughs) for being (laughs) so emotional about it. And, um, so we did get to a point, I'd, I'd like to say we didn't get to a point where we had no hope, but I had no hope at one point. Um, we had gotten to a point, I remember painting our master bedroom with Thomas's mom, and I said, I'm done. I said, I'm done waiting for this to happen naturally. I'm going to go to the doctor, and I'm going to get on some kind of medication. We're going to go through a procedure. Um, that month, we were pregnant. So God was like, ha ha, you think so? Ha ha ha, you give up? And that's when I surprised you. So um, it was an amazing journey uh, being pregnant at the beginning. I think God gave me some amazing peace because I wasn't super stressed out. I had miscarried our first, and so, but I wasn't stressed out about miscarrying him because I had confirmation. Um, Mona actually came up to me. She had no idea that we had just found out that we were pregnant. And she came up to me and she said, there's a light over you. And God says that you're going to have a baby next year. And so she didn't know I was pregnant and she had spoke that into me. Um, And that's the peace that I had that led me through the first trimester to know that, you know what, this is, this child's coming into this world because God wants him to be here. Um, So uh, now that I'm a mom, something that amazes me is thinking about how God gave his son for everyone and how hard that would be as a parent, extremely hard. I would not want to do that. It'd be, I would think somebody would have to, uh, I probably, they'd probably have to put me somewhere. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I think that that almost strengthens my relationship with him, seeing how much I love Liam and how much Thomas loves Liam and that God loves us and him more is just, it's more um, understandable to me at this point. Uh, Before I was like, eh, because I didn't have parents that necessarily loved me well. My dad did, but he was gone. uh, You know, he passed away when I was young, so I didn't have that. And uh, my stepdad didn't really instill that love into me. Um, My mom tried the best that she could. So I appreciate her for that. Um, But uh, I didn't understand that to the degree that I I probably should have been able to. And so I appreciate that so much because every night I am like, I'll whisper to him and I say, mommy loves you, daddy loves you, but Jesus loves you more and he's always here with you whether we are here or not. And so I just believe and pray every night that I'm thankful that I know that he's gonna do amazing things for God's kingdom because um, God brought him here even though, you know, 
our bodies were failing us in being able to conceive a child, God made it happen. So it was, it was really good. So that's all I have. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you, Asha. It's, it's a hard thing to go through that, to go through the whole thing. And so, ah, is everybody doing good this morning? So I saw there's a, there's a new reality TV program coming up this fall. And the premise of the program is there's six married men. They're going to be dropped off on an island with one car and four kids per man for six weeks. And so the other things that are added to this is each kid plays two sports and takes either music or dance lessons. There's no access to fast food on the island. Each man must take care of his four kids all by himself, and he has to do that during, before, or after his full or part-time job. He also is going to be keeping the assignment of keeping the house clean. He has to correct all the homework, complete all the science projects, cook, and do all the laundry. The men have access to one television, and it's only on when the kids are fully asleep. There's no remote controls allowed on the island. The men must shave their legs daily, and they must put on their makeup while driving or cooking breakfast for the kids. They have to make four lunches and exercise to keep their bodies fit so their spouses will remain happy. And then the kids will vote them off the island based on their performance. Once the winner is picked, he can play this game over and over again for the next 18 to 25 years, and eventually one of them will earn the right to be called mother. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? That's okay, we put in your name and a resume for you to go on the show. <laughs> you know, there really, there really ought to be a whole month for mothers, not just a day. I, I don't think sometimes we realize that. When, when you stop and think about it, everything we've learned in life has came from our mother. It was from our mother that we learned about anticipation. She would say to us, you just wait until your father gets home. <laughs> it was from our mothers that we learned about logic, because she would say to us, because I said so, and that's why. <laughs> it's because our mothers taught us about the foresight when she would tell us, make sure you wear clean underwear today in case you're in an accident. Our mothers taught us how to become adults when they said, if you don't eat your vegetables, you're never going to grow up. They taught us about genetics. You're just like your father. <laughs> they taught us about irony. Keep laughing, because I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> they taught us about stamina when they said, you just sit here until all those peas are gone off your plate. They taught us about weather. It looks like a tornado just swept through your, through your bedroom. They taught us about the circle of life. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. It was our mothers who first taught us about prayer. You had better pray <laughs> that that stain comes out of the carpet. <laughs> and of course... It was our mothers who taught us about justice when they said, one day you're going to have kids and I hope they're just like you. <laughs> we, we can laugh about all those things, but just look at, look at the true irony in the whole thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we realize 
Former President Theodore Roosevelt made this statement about mothers. He said, when all is said, the mother and the mother only, who is a better citizen than even the soldier who fights for this country, the successful mother, the mother who does her part in rearing and training the boys and girls who are to be the men and women of the next generation, is of the greater use to the community and, and occupies if she would realize that it's more honorable as well as an important position than any man is in. The mother is the one who is the supreme asset to the national life. She is more important by far than any successful statesman, businessman, artist, or scientist. See, that was during the war, and he got up and he spoke that. Because he was realizing how important the mothers really were to the nation. He realized that all these men had gone off to war, and some of them would not be coming back. And if things didn't change, if, if the mothers were not doing their job, that the country would fall into ruin. You know, the sad part is we, we live in a, in a time where lots of mothers are abandoning their post. They're neglecting and sometimes they're even deserting their children. In culture today, so many just want to go out and do their own thing. They want to go their own way. They want to try and find themselves. They want a new start in life. And many mothers are not fulfilling this special role that God has created them for. It's sad, but that's the state of motherhood today. It's not like it used to be. You know, there's so many children that don't even have mothers like we had. And even if they weren't the best mother, they don't even have mothers that are present at all. When you have a woman who uses her considerable influence to lay a godly foundation, you're going to have a very powerful combination. That's why the writer of Proverbs said in Proverbs 31, 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Paul wrote to Timothy about the impact of his grandmother and his mother on his life in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Paul writes and says, I know you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have faith in your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. This is why I remind you to fan into full the flames of the scriptural gift God gave you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. See, Timothy came to faith because of his praying grandmother and his praying mother. They were the ones that Paul was clearly saying carried Timothy through. I don't know how Paul knew this, but he was definitely speaking into Timothy's life. Don't forget that foundation that was laid in your life. It makes such a difference. You know, for me, my mother had me when she was 16. And before her 39th birthday, she passed away. And so I was already grown. I was already in the military. I was living in Germany. And then I came back when she got really, really sick, and she passed away. And I think all the time, here I am, 59. I've outlived my mother. You know, and so it's days like today that can be somewhat hard because there's so much she missed and there was so much she poured into me. But my parents were 
We, we never went to church my whole entire life. We, it's just something we never did. We had a great family. We always did stuff, but it wasn't something that was ever poured into me. There was nobody really in our family that were Christians. And so we just lived life. But now I know, I, I can see the foundation. And the, the sad part is for me is I know how I grew up and I know how I didn't come to know the Lord until I was in my 20s. And it really saddens my heart to see people that have had praying mothers and praying grandparents that have just gone astray and walked away. And all that foundation and all that time and all that effort has been poured in, and yet they want to stay on the outside. It shouldn't be that way. We, we should be moving forward. So it reminds me that, mothers, even if your children have gone astray for a time, it does not mean that they will stay away from the Lord forever. In Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way they shall go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. You know what? So many mothers have made sacrifices. You've sought to impact your children. You've sought to impact your grandchildren. You've sought to even impact children that aren't even biologically yours. And they're not going, growing up in the way they should go. They're not doing the things the way they should do them. But I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give up at all. We just got to move forward. I want you to think about how God used Franklin Graham. The way the Lord gifted Franklin Graham to preach. If you ever hear Franklin Graham preach, you'll probably think, wow, he looks and he sounds just like his dad, Billy. But if you sit down and you listen to the whole story... Billy Graham had a great influence on his son, but you know what? Billy Graham was the first one to admit, I was gone all the time. My wife had to raise the children. And what you're really seeing in Franklin Graham is what his mom poured into him, not what his dad poured into him. His dad was an example, his mom was the influencer. And later on in his life, Billy Graham definitely recognized that. And he acknowledged that. You see, we go, oh, what a great man. He's following in his father's footsteps. He is. But he's walking on the path that his mother laid in his life. Mothers, do not, do not take what you're doing lightly. See, we have the same situation with Timothy, and we have that same situation today. I want to tell moms, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep pouring into your children. Keep believing that they're going to come back. And this isn't just for mothers, too. Fathers need to be doing this. You, you, you can't turn your back on what you see with your eyes. You know what? There's a great reward waiting in heaven. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. You know what? If we're not walking it out, if we're not being the example, then things are never going to change. Even when they're not following, they're still watching. Even when we look over our shoulder and we don't see them, they're peeking around the corner. They want to see how we're reacting to things. They want to see... They want to test our limits. They want to see if what we're doing is real or if it's temporal, if we're just putting on a show. You know what? I knew Mother's Day was coming because for the last two months, it's been on every social media. It's been on commercials. You know, I'd really like to think that uh, Walmart just holds mothers up in such high esteem 
and that's why they put so much money and effort into promoting Mother's Day. I'm sure that's the only reason why they promote it and have all the storefronts and have all the big displays. You know, it's a great merchandise opportunity for them. But you know what? No matter the motivation, it reminds us that there's mothers out there. I was reading an article just a little while back, and in prisons, this group got together, and they worked with Hallmark and several other the card groups, and they gave away free Mother's Day cards to prisoners across the whole United States in every state penitentiary and every federal penitentiary. They said somewhere close to 99 point something percent of the inmates took a Mother's Day card and they mailed it. And so when Father's Day rolled around, they did the same thing. And they said less than 1% of the inmates took a Father's Day card. You know, mothers are important. And even mothers that think they failed. The prison system right there showed that no matter how bad of a mother they were, virtually all of them got a Mother's Day card because they were able to go back and realize what had happened in their life. You know, we all need reminders because sometimes it seems like things just escape our memories. You know, we, re we don't realize how much we actually retain. Sometimes we can't remember somebody's name we met last week, but yet something can pop up on social media or you can see a picture or you can run into an old friend or you can have somebody over at a holiday from the family and all of a sudden you remember things that were stored in your memory bank like they were yesterday. All of a sudden things come flooding back. Scientists tell us that we never really forget anything. It's all stored in the data banks of our memory. We just forget how to access it. It isn't that the memories are ever gone because they can go in and stimulate certain things and all of a sudden you start having memories flood back about a certain time in your life, about certain events in your life, whether they're bad or good. You know what, when you buy yourself a new computer, one thing you want to know is how much speed does it have? How much memory does it have? How many gigs are actually in there? And you know what, when you fill up the hard drive, all of a sudden you have to start deleting programs. You have to start deleting stuff because there's no more room. You need to make room for all that information to take more in. But you know what, God has placed an amazing hard drive in each and every one of us. And you know what, it never runs out of memory. It never needs to be expanded. It never needs to be sped up. Things you've been taught that have been forgotten are still there. You just don't know where they're filed. Certain things can trigger it. Sometimes a song on the radio. All of a sudden you remember the first time you heard it or the time you were someplace where it was at. Sometimes it's a scent. For me, whenever I smell a campfire, I just think about, I can pretty much say, through the whole entire late 60s and early 70s, there wasn't a weekend when there wasn't snow that we weren't camping. As soon as the snow was gone in the lower part of the mountains, every Friday we'd be in the mountains and we wouldn't come home till Sunday night. And so every time I smell a campfire, even if it's just burning in our fire pit in the backyard, all of a sudden I can start remembering things that I haven't thought of for ages. Anytime you're reminded of something, anytime something triggers a memory, whether it's good or bad, you know that those things are in there. Things that you've forgotten suddenly are brought back to life again. This 
past week, even up until today, it was five years ago this last week was the first time I went to Sierra Leone. And now every day on Facebook, because I post it every day, I'm seeing memories from what happened five years ago. And I'm remembering people when I was just there. Some of them want to be a part of what's going on. Some of them don't want to be a part of what's going on. But I remember how many of them I was there when they graduated and, and how much things have even changed in the five years since I've been there. But all of a sudden, those things start coming back. You know what? When you spend time reminiscing, a lot of your statements begin with, do you remember when? You know what? When you, when you talk to older people... They start talking. And you know what kids say? Here we go again. We've heard this story over and over. You know, one of my mentors, Jesse Mason. It was funny. He was an older guy. I mean, he'd been around quite a while. All right, he'd been around a long time. Grew up in Texas. Played football when they still had leather helmets. No lie. They were really good friends with Joel Olstein's parents. They were there when Joel was born. They changed his diapers. They were there multiple times and spoke at the church. Jesse went blind at one time, and William Branham laid hands on him, and his sight instantly came back. They were on stage with Catherine Kuhlman. There's all kinds of remarkable things. And you know what? That man would go and he would tell the same stories over and over and over again. And out of the hundreds of churches, people didn't want Jesse to come and speak at their church. I thought it was a blessing because you know what? He would come. And one time they were having a meeting here in Colorado and everybody said, well, all these leaders were saying, we don't want him to come to our church because he just tells the same stories over and over. And God just came upon me and I said, you know why he keeps telling the same stories and why you get annoyed? Because you don't want to apply any of the principles. And so God has to keep reminding you of what he's trying to tell you. And no matter how many times you hear it, you're still not doing anything with it. I got to tell you, the man was phenomenal. He had a very large church in California. And this... This young guy came to him one day, had a meeting with him. He said, you don't know me, but I really feel like God's telling me to start a church right down the street here from you. And he goes, God clearly spoke to me and told me that the name of my church should be Christian Chapel, but you own that name. And they'd had the name for... 20 years. <laughs> and Jesse goes, if God told you you're supposed to have that name, then I'll change the name of our church and I'll give you the name. And he did. It was like no question to him. He said, when this man came, I knew that God had spoken to him and I knew he was going to do great things and so I just changed the name of our church. Calvary Chapel. And then he changed the name to Christian Chapel. And that's how Calvary Chapel actually started, was Jesse just gave up the name. How many people are willing to just give up something like that? It's Mark Twain who said, isn't it astonishing the number of things I can remember and the number of things that I can remember that simply aren't so? So many times things didn't happen just like we remembered them. So, I can tell you there's one great way how to improve your memory. Who wants to learn how to improve their memory? All right, if you want a great memory exercise, loan somebody money. <laughs> loan somebody a couple thousand dollars and see how long it takes you to forget. You know what? Your memory will keep getting stirred up. The memory banks will keep churning. <laughs> You know what, there's things that we have forgotten 
but in a sense we, rem we can remember them because they've just been laying dormant in our mind. There's some things that we want to forget. There's some things because we haven't applied, the applied them in a long time, we forget. There's some things because we were at a stage in our life that certain things were more important than others, and we forget. Often, those are spiritual things. Peter, in his second epistle, made this statement. I want to remind you of the things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth. But I think it's important to refresh your memory as long as I live in this body. See, sometimes we need to be reminded of the very things we've forgotten. Sometimes we forget spiritual truths, and they're very important to us. See, the lesson I've learned in my life is that we need to relearn the things that we already know. Sometimes we even forget God. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 13, 25, God says, you have forgotten me and you have put your trust in false gods. Ezekiel 22.12 says, Ezekiel 22.12 also says the same thing and there's other passages where God talks about us forgetting about him. See, it's a really big mistake. And you know why we forget about God? Because we get preoccupied with everything going on in our life. We get preoccupied with us right in front of our face. We get preoccupied with things that have happened and the way we think they affected our relationship with God. And you know what? The reality is, is when, when we get preoccupied like that, we're literally doing what God was telling Jeremiah to rebuke the people for it. We're forgetting about God. We're forgetting about the work he's done in our life. We're forgetting about the things we've seen him do, and we're focusing on the ways we've failed or others have failed us. You know what? When crisis comes, guess what? We remember God. We remember his address. We remember his phone number. We remember where to contact him. And man, we're just like best buds instantaneously when crisis comes. But we should never forget the way he's working in our lives each and every day. We should never forget that he is really the center. He really always has our best interest. You know what? God is never even. Not even for a fleeting moment has God forgotten us. God has never even batted an eye. He's never even blinked. He's kept his eye on us at all times. In Psalms 139, 17, it says, How precious are the thoughts you have of me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sands. And when I awake, I am still with you. I want you to think about this. <laughs> that... I would say the majority of people in here at some point in time have been to a beach. You know what? When you go to a beach, it doesn't matter. When you go to a beach, when you come home, you have sand. You have sand in your car. You have sand in your hair. You have sand in all kinds of other creases. You have sand in your clothing. You have sand in your pockets. If you have kids, their pockets are full of sand. And we're trying to get rid of the sand, and God is telling us, as the number of the grains of sand, that's how many thoughts he has towards us. Go to the beach, and you'll find out. If you think of each grain of sand as a thought that he has towards you, those are just the ones that you can't get rid of at that moment. Remember as little children, we would constantly cry out to our parents, Mommy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. When we're riding our bikes, when we're in our programs, when we're doing things, we're always looking for attention. We love the fact that our parents would watch us do certain things. 
Even when we weren't the best, we just liked the fact that they were watching. We were so proud of ourselves. We'd ride bikes, we'd do performances, and we just enjoyed the fact that our parents were watching us. Well, you know what? We need to be reminded of the fact our Heavenly Father is always watching us. He never bats an eye. He never turns away. He's always watching us, and he's not watching us to judge us. He's watching us to show great approval of everything we're doing. And I'm not saying he's approving of the bad things, but you know what? He's not looking for the bad things. We can do 100 things in a day, and he's going to focus on the two things we did good and right, and that's what he's going to praise us for. He's not going to bring up the 98 we did wrong. And so the reality is, when we're focusing on even one of the 98, we're forgetting God, and we're forgetting who he is. And I'm not saying that to beat people up, I'm saying that to bring freedom. It was the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon who said, it will become a cause of great joy to reflect that our best friend is never away from us. Our protector is at hand, he's never been removed, and the greatest observant eye of the divine love is never closed. See, the real litmus test of where we are before God is how does the fact that God is watching over you 24-7, 365 make you feel? You know what? If it makes you worried, if it makes you anxious, if it makes you fearful, if it makes you hang your head, then you have the wrong view of God. We should have that same excitement we did when we called out. Hey, Mommy. Hey, Daddy. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. If you're a real believer walking with God, we need to understand that God is always watching. He's listening, but he's, he's listening and he's watching to bring us great comfort and joy. He's looking and he's watching to bring us security in life. On the other hand, if you're a person who's not walking with the Lord, when you hear the fact that God is always watching and listening, it's probably a source of dread. And the reality is, so many people have been raised in the church that that's what they've been taught. God's watching, you can't do this. I mean, the sad part, so many churches are teaching there's a God up there with a big, huge Thor hammer that wants to just come down and smash our thumb. He wants to bring down the law upon us. And that's not the case. Hillary's been to that church. <laughs> She's raising her hand, cheering me on. <laughs> but you're permanently giving the thumbs up with that cast. <laughs> the Bible clearly teaches us that he's doing this. He's thinking about us. Isaiah 49, 16 says, God says... I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. David said, I am poor and needy, yet you think of me. Jesus reminded us that our Heavenly Father knows what things you need even before you need them. The important thing to remember is sometimes that people forget Moms, you know a little bit about this. You love your children. You nurture them. You raise them. And then you get older, and they just move out of the house. Maybe they have families of their own. 
Maybe you don't hear from them. Maybe you're saying, why don't they call more often? Why ain't they telling me what's going on? Then you feel neglected. I want to tell you, anybody that's experienced that, you know firsthand how God feels. You know it. I want you to know that even if your children have disappointed you at times, even if your husband has not met all your expectations, even if others don't affirm you as often as they ought to, be affirmed knowing that God is always thinking about you and he's always watching you with loving and care and security first and foremost on his mind. God is always concerned about you. He's always concerned about your welfare. God never even for a moment forgets about you. Here's some other things to consider. Though God remembers you, he's forgotten all your sins. He says, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. That doesn't mean that God's having a memory lapse. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that the all-knowing one somehow has a deficiency in his memory base. Rather, it's saying that God has chosen to forget certain things because of his love and his care for us. One thing he's chosen to forget is our sins when we confess them before, them, before him. There's a problem. We often remember our sins and we keep bringing them back up and we keep reliving them in our mind. Or we keep, as Proverbs says, as a dog goes back to his vomit, so does a fool to his folly. I got to tell you, we are going against God when we keep going back to what he's forgiven us for. You know what? We, we just did this last week, but that's why we come to the communion table. It's to remember that God has never forgotten about us. Sometimes we take it so lightly. It's to remember God did not forget about us. It was the cross at Calvary where our sins were forgiven and paid for. You know what? He's provided communion to jog our memory and to take us back and remind us what he's done. You know what? I wear a red wedding ring, and when I look down at my hand, I can always remember I'm married. Other people, when they see me, they know I'm married. Why? Because it jogs my memory, and even if they don't know my wife, even if I'm someplace where nobody knows me, they know I'm married. God says this is something that he's provided to jog our memories. He says, I want you to come back to the table. I want you to come back to the table often. I want you to think about what happened at the cross. He wants us to revisit the cross in our imagination. He wants us to remember the sacrifice. He wants us to remember his suffering. He wants us to remember the nails that were pounded into his hands or feet. I can tell you, when Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ first came out, we were actually at an elder's getaway time up in the mountains, and we went and saw it up in Breckenridge at the theater. You know what? After seeing that movie, when I read the Gospels, it's never the same. I mean, visually, we saw, and I got to tell you, that isn't even a fraction of what really happened. You know, we got a grasp of what might, it might have really been like for Jesus. The film was so graphic, it's hard to watch. When you read some of the reviews on the film by the number of movie critics, they said things like, Mel Gibson is some kind of lunatic to make a film like this. Why would you watch a film about a man being tortured for two hours? What's the point of it? 
And I'm thinking these same film critics praise the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They, 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 praise, <laughs> they praise war movies where people are brutalized. They praise all these things. But what the point of it is, is Jesus was suffering for our sin. Even for the man writing the review. See, when they're writing that review, they're offended because they can't accept what's already been paid for them. You know what? We can't talk about it too often. It should never get old. This is not a subject that should just become passe, that should just be just run by. If you're not sure you're a Christian or you have no intention of becoming a Christian, I want you to know that God still loves you. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think about him. It doesn't matter what you think about his people. It doesn't matter what you think about his church. He still loves you right where you're at. And it doesn't waver. It doesn't change. Our thought patterns are never going to change the way God thinks about us. Another option is maybe some of you would say, I want to know the one who they represent. I want a relationship with God. I want to get right with God. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I talked about it like a month ago, but you know what? Christians have failed in the way they've shared the gospel. We don't have to ask people to say a prayer and accept Jesus as their Savior. He already is their Savior. They just need to accept the fact that he's already done the work. You don't have to ask him to come in because we were knit together by God in our mother's womb. You know what? He still looks down upon us. He still has love for us, even if we're not following after him. You know what? We all have an opportunity to receive Christ. And there's nothing that's stopping us other than ourselves. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. It was for each and every one of us that he shed his blood. It was for each and every one of us that he took the stripes upon him for our healing. And why did he do that? So that we could have a perfect relationship with him. So that we could come back to know him. See, if you turn from your sins and you put your trust in Christ, he's right there. You can be forgiven and you can walk out of here today knowing that your sins were not only forgiven, but they're also forgotten. They're as far as the east is from the west. You know, what a promise that is. What a promise. There's people in here that have been prodigals. There's people that have stayed away. There's, there's people that are just hanging on by their fingernails. There's people that have been hurt by the church. There's people that have been hurt by Christians. There's people that have been hurt by their parents. There's people here in all kinds of walks of life. But you know what? You can come to the Lord. You can come back to the Lord. And the reality is, even if we've ran away from him, he's still there. He never turned back. He's never left us. He's right there for us. I want everybody to just uh, close your eyes for a moment. I want you to go back and, and access in that memory bank the, for those of you that have already made a decision for Christ at some point in your life. And I want you to remember 
the joy and the freedom and the forgiveness you felt in that moment. I want you to think about <laughs> how in that moment, no matter where you were, no matter what was going on, how things just lifted off of you. And I want to tell you that no matter what you've done, nothing's changed that moment, and that's still the way God wants you today. If you don't know Christ, it's, or if you've walked away from him, it's, it's really no big deal. There is no huge formula. All we got to do is just accept the fact that he's died for our sins. We just need to accept the fact that he loves us. And you know what? It's not what we have to do on our part. It's what he has already done on his part. I want to let you know that there's nothing you've ever done that can separate you from the love of God. And today's the day that all of us just need to return. We can't forget about God. We can't be walking away from God. I want to tell you, don't let the 98 things in your life keep you from the two that he's done. The two that are like the most important. We need to focus on who he is and what he's done so that we can walk in the fullness of who we are in him. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, we invite you to check out our website or feel free to download the Church Center app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to listen to more of our sermons and messages, you can find us on YouTube and Spotify. We love you, God bless you, and thank you for tuning in to Catch the Fire Boulder.